Hey everyone, it's Steve here from The Emotion Machine, and this is episode 9 of The Emotion Machine podcast. I'm here with clinical psychologist Tara Cousino. She's also the author of an upcoming book, The Kindness Cure, How the Science of Compassion Can Heal Your Heart and Your World. Um, Tara, good to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, so, a uh, first question I usually ask people is, what first got you interested in learning about psychology in general and becoming a psychologist? Um, oh, I actually have a little story of this in my book, and I'll, I'll give you the short version here. But when I was 11 years old, um, I had a defining moment in elementary school in the sixth grade where I was shamed by a math teacher, and I was so upset, and I ran to the guidance counselor who knew me and my family because um, we didn't have it easy growing up. And he um, just didn't get it and didn't get how upset I was that I had been humiliated in this math class. And I just said to myself, every grown-up in my world has failed me. I'm going to grow up and do a better job than him. So it was almost it's like this reaction formation and I just, you know, it took a really upsetting moment and I said, I'm I'm going to be a person that can help kids. So that's actually how I started out and I didn't know really the difference between any stripe or color of a therapist at the time. I just knew that I was going to sort of do what my guidance counselor did in some way. So that mm -hmm. started me on the path. I, I was very goal-directed ever since then. Mm, interesting. Yeah, you just yeah. want to, to do a better job and sort of fix the world in your own way and, and especially the ways that you saw that it, it lacked. Yeah, I think that I really felt that um, grown-ups didn't listen, like mm. truly listen. So it was um, a, a compassionate motive, <laughs> mm -hmm. if you will. So. And was kindness always um, one of your main focuses, learning about psychology? Well... Well, not directly. Um, it was much later in my life when I decided to focus um, on it, and it was actually as a as a parent. And um, but I would say that I entered the field of psychology as a kind person, as bringing kindness to or empathy to my approach. I had really good training around cultivating a therapeutic alliance, I had great clinical supervisors actually, and really the clients and patients over the years have probably taught me more than anyone. So I would say that it was, it's always been an orientation in my life and it's always also been a question in my life because humans have the capacity for untold kindness and love and also untold cruelty. So I think it's, um, it's part of a paradox for me, and that's why I tackled it in mm -hmm. a book. Mm -hmm. Did you always consider yourself a kind of person? Yes, I think so. I, my mother was very kind. I, I grew up with kind people around me. It was expected um, also. Um, the golden rule was very prominent in um, my early educational upbringing. I feel like we've lost it a little bit. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's just been on the forefront of how to approach the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they might be, um, they might grow up in sort of more of a negative environment, maybe around 
a lot of people that are more mean or cruel um, and they develop those habits, you know, based on, you know, what they've seen in their environment. Um, what chance do they have to turn those things around and to try to be a kinder person? What do you recommend to those people? Well, you know, I think um, maybe I want to step back a little bit because, you know, kindness and compassion and empathy are really part of a continuing, you know, of the human experience. And so we all have moments of kindness. I experienced incredible cruelty growing up. My parents got divorced. It was a very violent or volatile household. Um, you know, alcohol, substance abuse. I, I think that, um, you know, part of it is learning how to, to move forward in the world by developing your own sense of values and learning how to make connections that will help you thrive, not just survive in the world, but thrive. And our conditioning, you know, is, it, it's, it's everything about how, you know, how we end up, you know, being teenagers and young adults and um, adults through the lifespan. So um, I, I can get to some tips later, but I thought maybe I would ask you a question if that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. So... One of the questions I like to ask people is, you know, just um, reflect for a moment in your past, whether it's the recent past or, you know, earlier in your childhood, maybe one defining moment where you experienced kindness as either the recipient or the giver. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you. Let me think. I'm trying to think of times I was a recipient of kindness. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of times throughout, you know, my environment, definitely examples of teachers that have been very um, respectful and kind toward me. And because I've always been a little bit of like a shy student, a little bit more of an outcast. So I would say, you know, the examples of teachers, um, you know, putting in that extra effort to make sure that I felt comfortable in the classroom would be a pretty good example of kindness from my past. So, do you have one teacher in mind, um, or one exchange? Um, no particular exchange. Um, couple main teachers in mind. Uh, probably my physics teacher in high school. Um, you know, always made sure that you know all the students felt comfortable, and that he would give time to every student and um, listen to them and help them. Um, nothing too specific. I'm sure I could probably think of something well, if I well, thought about it more. I think that that's good that you're focusing on the physics teacher because one of the things with kindness that I've noticed is that people tend to have these global answers, right? Oh, you know, um, my family was nice or, you know, I feel like I grew up in a safe environment or, you know, someone, you know, helped pay for a scholarship for college or, you know, and so I just keep trying to drill down and drill down because I bet that there was a moment, like if you went off and started to journal about really kind of thinking about that physics teacher and, and um, how you felt in the class, how you felt um, in his or her presence, how that person might have inspired your love for science, and to really kind of start to get to the details of it. Um, so I just offer that to you and the listeners as think about a moment where you felt um, that a person was was kind and generous towards you and try to get into the details of the feelings and the emotions and the circumstances and kind of really bring it to life. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good perspective, um, especially just, you know, finding those concrete examples and, you know, turning kindness into something more tangible rather than something abstract like, um, you know, fighting for, you know, world peace or, or something that's that's on a global scale, like you said. And I think also what you said um, earlier, you mentioned how, you know, I asked you, you know, what about people who tend to be more mean or cruel maybe or, or grew up in that environment? And you said how, you know, everyone has moments where, where they are kind. And I think that's, you know, another really good perspective to have as far as finding concrete examples of kindness and also realizing that everyone has the capacity to, capacity to be kind. Um, yes, um, that's, I mean, humans are complex. We have a range of feelings and emotions. And, you know, kindness, um, you know, I have a definition for kindness, and kindness to me is love in action. And then people are like, well, what is love, right? You know, and then it's like unpacking love. Well, you know, love is like the mother of all emotions. It's not um, a romantic love. I mean, it can be, but that's only a part of it. But when we really experience love, like another emotion, it, it tends to be fleeting, you know, it lasts for a few moments, but we get the sense of uplift and um, a real sense of connection and belonging, uh, worthiness, right? Um, and kindness is the conduit for that. So kindness is not just going out and doing a kind act and paying for the cup of coffee for the person behind you or the toll or that sort of thing. So those are all wonderful and lovely gestures. But kindness is really an expression um, of love for another human being. And it's an understanding on some real intuitive level that we are connected. You know, I am you and you are me. And, and there is some aspect of our experience or our life that we share in, in some way. And I, I wrote the, the book, actually, because what I was experiencing in my um, uh community in sort of the world at large in 2016 um, was almost this accumulation of overwhelm. Like, w really, I would wake up in the morning and say, what has happened to the world? Like, what is what is going on? It, it, it was almost like um, me and other people and my clients would come in just feeling completely fatigued and overwhelmed with this sense of helplessness. It's like, um, you know, I live in an area of the country, I'm in the Boston area, and, um, you know, within one year we had the Boston bombing, and in Connecticut we had the Sandy Hook school shooting. I grew up right next to um, that town as a child, and it felt so close and so much in, in, in the neighborhood, um, and and those are just two small examples, right, um, of what was happening, and I could list out over the last 15 years um, some of the major events, and, and I think that really you know, we were, a lot of people were just feeling afraid, essentially. And um, our culture and our politics really amplify a, a lot of those sort of negative emotions and expressions. And so what happens? And Steve, you talk about this and you write about this is, you know, um, the natural human response is to fight or flee, you know, faint or freeze. Those are the extreme stress responses. We do what our bodies do. And they react, they shut down, they go into what sort of I have called a spell, which stands for self-protective empathy lethargy. Like, I found myself feeling overwhelmed and people I was working with overwhelmed. And when you feel that way, 
day, it's actually really hard to be kind. It's hard to take that extra step. Um, it Kindness takes effort. It's, it's an action. It's an orientation to life. And when you're feeling overwhelmed and protective, it's really hard to do anything. So it's, um, it's not new, right? <laughs> it's not new in our world, mm-hmm. but there are times and phases where it just feels really amplified. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you, do you think that culturally there has been a downtick in kindness and an uptick in cruelty? Or do you think that maybe some of these feelings are due to, you know, media or internet where these, you know, horrific events get amplified and kind events are more, you know, not not interesting news? Well, um, yes, yes, and yes. I think that it's all part of what's happening, you know, currently, you know, I, um, I love technology, I love media, the research science part of me actually works in sort of mobile health media and using technology for the good. Um, those are neutral mediums, you know, they're communication avenues or channels. It's really how we use them, and it's the intention how we use them that can really change. Um, and influence how we are in the world. And I do feel personally that we are sort of at an inflection point when it comes to media and social media where, um, and this is my personal opinion, this is not based in research, but that we are overexposed right now to negativity mm-hmm. and um, we need to hold ourselves responsible and accountable um, for that in, in a lot of ways. and. So it's going to take a practice, a daily practice, to learn how to kind of offset that overexposure um, so that we can find the rest, um, the restoration, the stillness, the quiet, the calm that is absolutely essential for us to engage our caring blueprint. You know, we're wired to care. Our species wouldn't survive if we didn't you know, cooperate with one of us, with one, with, with each other, if we weren't generous, if we weren't kind. Um, you know, we have this compassion instinct, and it has been evolutionarily adaptive. And right now, I think, you know, we have to recognize and wake up. I think a lot of things that are happening in the world and our culture and politics are, are waking us up um, to almost a certain kind of comfort or familiarity or complacency. Um, with how things are presented to us and what we choose to consume. So yes, that's part of it, I think. But to your earlier question, do I think that there's been there's sort of a, a downtick in in kindness or empathy and uptick in cruelty? Um, the answer is it's complicated. It, it's really no. I mean, I think the historians say you know we actually live in a more democratic. Um, more just, less violent world than ever before in the history of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, what we are exposed to, you know, which we weren't 50, 100, you know, actually 10 years ago, or, you know, we are just exposed to the enormity of, of cruelty and devastation in so many places at the same time. And so it feels like it's worse. Um, yeah, yeah. You I know think- what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we definitely have to be mindful of the news and media and information that we consume. 
And, you know, there's always a negativity bias, you know, not just in ourselves, but also in, in what's being reported on in the news. And mm -hmm. um, there's that concept of mean world syndrome. Not sure if, if you're familiar with it, but um, the basic idea is, you know, we get exposed to all this negative information that we, you know, we, we begin to believe that the world is, you know, actually just cruel and, and helpless. And um, that can definitely, you know, become a feedback loop in the sense that, you know, we think that, you know, the world's just crap and there's no point in trying to fix it. So, you know, we end up being more, um, more cruel in our own actions in a way. Well, I, yeah, I haven't heard that phrase specifically, but it makes sense to me. And the phrase that, um, that, that I've heard in sort of the psychology educational side of things, especially with youth, is this um, cool to be cruel mentality. Hmm. And that teachers are seeing that, parents are seeing that, um, you know, it's sort of the schoolyard bullying that, um, you know, we might have been accustomed to uh, before the internet age is now taken, you know, online as well as offline. And so um, there's some sort of um, cultural acceptance of it. We've just gotten used to it. And we don't question, we don't question it. And I think that that's where the the challenge is for us. I think it's also where the, the hope is, um, is to start questioning this um, more. I think also, I think there's research that, you know, shows that, you know, sort of empathic cultures are collectivist cultures, cultures that have um, closer kinship networks and ties. And that really, that makes sense to me. You know, when we live in community and we live in larger networks, we have to learn how to cooperate um, with one another. In more individualistic societies, you know, where it becomes more this sort of, you know, independent spirit in a way, but it can also really cause separation between people and this sort of I versus you, more, um, you know, smaller tribalism kind of uh, experiences. I think we actually see that right now in our culture also. Um, and it just, you know, kind of surfaces here and there. And we have to be really, 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 really be careful and mindful of it is that to remember that we all belong to one another. And when we get into these states of I, you know, I versus you, it's just, um, it causes, you know, separation. And I think that's then the seedbed for a lot of cruelty and um, lack of consideration, lack of respect, lack of even interest, in understanding the other person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you say is the difference between you know, a collectivist culture that's more empathetic and and interconnected versus a tribalist culture? Because I feel like tribalism to some extent is just a smaller group of collectivism, not necessarily individualism. Yeah. Well, I'm not a social scientist or an anthropologist, but, you know, I, and maybe it's just sort of a matter of semantics. You know, there's, a, there's one chapter in my book where I refer to some, um, some, research um, or actually really sort of a naming of what kinship cultures um, basically fostered and it's called allo parenting or allo mothers where it wasn't just the mother and the father taking care of their children but it was the siblings and the aunts and the uncles and the grandparents and you know your cousins and that 
um, children were held, you know, they were in papooses and there were hands were always held and people just kind of, you know, physically were closer together, you know, and lived in, in just these tighter networks. And I really kind of love that term of allo parenting or allo moms because I, I feel like in our culture in the United States, um, we've we've kind of lost that in certain communities and to a larger extent. Um, and that this idea that we can hold you know, hands of a of, an, of another family's child, and that we're kind of you know we're nomads, you know, trying to kind of figure out this crazy world together, and we need each other, and you know, it was just a different it's a different time, and I think that if I think about my kids, or you know, I, I've done a lot of work with adolescents, and this has been just so exaggerated in the last five to eight years, this rating and ranking culture, right? So what we see is a generation of kids who are so primed to see where they are in the pecking order. And this goes from, you know, likes on Facebook or followers on Instagram to your GPA in your class rank. Um, there's just been this sort of over-focus on where you are compared to somebody else and um it's it's really problematic and um and i feel like that we need to take a really good look at that and how we're cultivating that and how that takes away from really cultivating caring cultures and caring communities when we're constantly being asked to um promote ourselves in some way that's about, you know, the number of likes we get or where we are in class rank. Um, so I think that there are just interesting trends that are happening that are causing more division than they are community. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think um, that, that competitive nature that you're talking about um, definitely, you know, Bridges, you know, creates divides and um, makes us, you know, makes it harder to cooperate and and be compassionate and be kind. Um, what are what are some steps we can take to to move away from that? Well, you know, I call them practices, really, and in the spirit of um, the. Science of um, neuroplasticity. You had mentioned before, sort of the negativity bias, and you know the negativity biases really are sort of ancient propensity to scan our environment for danger, right, or a threat. Um, it's very primal. It's sort of our base model of our brain to be scanning the world um, for negative things, and um, it's important, and we need that. But we don't face the kinds of threats that we did way back when. And so I think the neuropsychologists and the psychologists who are really kind of studying this area are talking about how to cultivate um, an override. It's like pushing the override button. Like how do we cultivate positive neuroplasticity? In other words, what are the practices, the repetitions, the habits that we can develop that will allow us to override that first sort of hit that we get when we feel, you know, threatened in some way. And a lot of those skills are in this, you know, the space of 
mindfulness, learning how to practice, even for a few moments, a couple times a day, how to quiet your mind and calm your body, how to cultivate certain breathing practices, um, to be able to intentionally, you know, take a walk and sit on the bench and feel the sun on your face or enjoy the cup of coffee with real intention and focus where we're taking in the entire experience of it. And that starts to kind of wake up new neural connections um, in your mind, in your brain, um, so that you can um, offset that first response to stress or anxiety. And it it takes initiative, it takes practice. Um, we now know, and I think this is unequivocal at this point, there are so many researchers, research studies out there that show the benefits of mindfulness practice. And mindfulness is simply um, the skill of being, you know, present in the moment without evaluation, without judgment, and really with a kind attitude, right? And um, one of the things that I write about in the book is really cultivating what I call kindfulness. And it's being aware of the present moment with heart. To really have loving attention towards your current state. Even if you've just kind of had a bad moment or mean to somebody, um, did something that you regret. You're, you know, we're human. And it's not to let us off the hook, but it's to kind of come to a place of understanding um, and a little bit of distance so that we can make different choices the next time around because we only have the present moment and what comes after that. And the other thing that I like to talk about is, and, and you know, as, as a therapist, you know, people come to me when they're in despair or anguish or a life transition or something really disappointing has happened and they're struggling in some way. And largely it is because they've sort of, kind of got sucked into this negativity bias, you know, sort of an orientation to looking at their life from um, a place of, of regret, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I just, <laughs> I've got my little companion, Leo, my dog, and he was just scratching on the door, and I don't know why. <laughs> so he's here with me. And actually, um, um, having a pet is actually a wonderful way to initiate kindfulness because um, they just offer unconditional love when we treat them well. Um, so I'm all for pet therapy as well. But the other term is is, is kind sight, and that's viewing life experiences with tenderness and understanding. So when I think back to that time in you know in elementary school, um, I was um, a really anxious, shy kid in school. I hardly ever spoke, but I was just a raging lunatic at home. I was an angry kid. I was mad that my parents were getting divorced. I let them know it. I was, oh, I had these temper tantrums. I was like a, it was like a split personality, right? So I was this like, you know, screaming banshee at home. And then, you know, at school, I was like literally frozen in my body. Mm. And when I look back, you know, and this is not uncommon, right? I mean, um, we all have these sort of ways of tr- coping in the world, but is to be able to kind of look back at that time with a, a place of, just, oh, you know, compassion. Like that was so hard. And so, you know, when people come to therapy or they're struggling in life, often they're not at a place, they haven't kind of moved from this place of kind of being 
paralyzed by their own um, negative beliefs about their lives, right? Right, And it's really kind of moving from that place to a place of really, you know, just loving awareness, forgiveness, um, cultivating a sense of hope and that we can actually use our brains to our advantage. We can, just as we cultivate negativity, we can cultivate positivity. It's not just trying to turn some bad experience um, into something good, but it's really learning t- to see your growth in life um, as one of um, really an amazing human potential to thrive. And there might have been a lot of fits and starts along the way, but where you are right now is enormously different from where you were then, right? Mm-hmm. So self-compassion is a big part of what I talk about. It's in, it's incredibly important, kindness towards oneself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I think what you were saying before also about, you know, how important mindfulness is and how it's connected to kindness. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mindfulness gives us that that space to take a step back and really evaluate how we want to respond to a situation. And by doing that, that's really the only way that we can change old patterns and old impulses um, is by, you know, taking that step back and being aware of different ways we can respond to a situation or a person. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one way, um, and it's a really great way because it, it, this focus on cultivating breathing, right, it just ignites our caring circuitry, right? It it um, it triggers our parasympathetic nervous system that helps us calm down. And when we're calm, um, we really allow ourselves to be available for new things to happen, right, and to make new choices. And the other way, Steve, is really to um, cultivate um quality connections with other people you know to learn how to be discerning about the kinds of relationships that we want in our life um really seeking out the people you know that are there that have your back right um that that make that lift you up rather than bring you down you know i've got teenage girls now and they're starting to date (laughs) and i i cannot tell you how many times I've, i've said to them i said listen you know connections you make, the friendships you make, um, they can bring you up or they can bring you down. Choose wisely. It is so important. And we forget that, you know, that we actually, we actually have more control than we think about the kinds of relationships we want to cultivate in the world. Because ultimately, love and kindness is about relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think, you know, recognizing choice, you're there, right? Yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you might have, uh, uh, might have lost. No, I'm there, with but... you. I thought, I thought it might, uh, maybe I stumped you a bit. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, I think you, you ended kind of, yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> so, um, I guess, tell, tell us more. The book isn't out yet. The book is coming out um, February next year, correct? Yeah, in two months, really. It's coming close. Yeah. What, what, when did you start the book? Was there a, a point where you, where you felt like you had to write this book? Yes, absolutely. It was almost, um, I kind of joke and I say it was sort of a, 
uh, divine intervention. It was like a message that sort of just was like catapulted into me. Um, but there were a couple of um, circumstances that led up to it. And actually one of them, and I write it in the introduction in my book, is that um, uh, my older daughter, the eve of senior year in high school, um, you know, all the kids went out to meet in a place where, you know, they weren't really allowed, but that's what kids do. They all congregate, you know, out in the woods somewhere. And she knew she wasn't really allowed to go, but I wasn't around, so I didn't know. And anyway, what happened was almost, you know, one of those I told you so moments. And um, she was leaving the gathering, and she was physically assaulted by another girl. And it was unexpected. It was vicious. Um, and, you know, the whole bloody nose, the cat scratches, I mean, painful. And, um, and I knew the girl. I knew the other girl. And so... I just kind of, um, I have to tell you, Steve, I pulled on every inner resource that I cultivated through my mindfulness practice, not to, you know, go raging down and, you know, banging on that, the mother's door. Um, and I actually waited um, a while. The first question I asked my daughter was like, uh, you know, are you okay? Do you feel safe? Um, you know, w w what was this about? And, you know, and, and she didn't really know. No, she's like, you know, I just think it was bad timing. You know, um, the kids are drinking out in the woods. I mean, all sorts of circumstances. And she actually mustered up more compassion in the moment than I did. You know, just referring to like, well, you know, well, she's had a really hard upbringing, this or that. And I'm like, well, that's no excuse, you know. But my daughter was able to actually step back from it. And I was still kind of really raging about it. And now I have to tell you, I hear these stories all the time. I see teenage girls in my practice. You know, the whole mean girl thing is not new to me. But it was kind of new to us and our family. And because it was unexpected and it was kind of just so near, um, it just really got me going. And I sat with it for like a month. And um, and then it was just one of these things where I woke up in the middle of the night and I was thinking of writing a book around parenting at the time, actually, um, about sort of snowplow parents who kind of come in and take out all obstacles out of their children's way. And then the kids don't really grow up with a sense of grit or resilience. And I was really feeling frustrated about it. But this circumstances with my older daughter just kind of completely threw me for a loop. And I was like, what happened to kindness? I mean, it was a real question on my mind is like, why, you know, this is how kids choose to, to interact, you know, and, and then I just kind of went into this sort of, I don't know, meditative state for a while saying, I need to write about this. And what does the compassion science have to say about this? Because I know, based on the research and mindfulness, based on even like the research with loving kindness meditation, for instance, um, you know, just having all of these benefits around physical and emotional well-being. What do we know now, right? So I just kind of started going into an exploration around it. And um, the more I dug in, the more I could just really see, you know, it is unequivocal around kindness and compassion is that when we practice it intentionally, repetitively, that we actually start to change um, our brains. Like our gray matter thickens, you know, when we practice these um, simple kind of skills. So that's what really prompted me going, but it was a really a personal event. And I was like, how do we, how do I bring this message to the world in a way, which I hope I, I, you'll have to read the book and let me know later. Um, that is simple. It's in layperson's language. It, um, we're, I'm really trying to elevate the word kindness out of something that's a hallmark sentiment, you know, that 
kindness is sort of a nice to have. It's actually not. On most surveys, people rank kindness as one of their top criteria in finding a partner, in parenting their children, and what they expect in schools and students, and what they expect in their bosses and co-workers. Kindness is on the top of the list. And somehow we've just kind of relegated it, you know, and um, I'm trying to get it out of the back seat <laughs> and, and put kindness in the front seat um, with a new way to talk about it. You're trying to make kindness cool again. I am, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, it's really good, and um, I do have to read the book. Um, I I got to skim through it a little bit, but I have to dig into it more. There's a lot of content there and a lot of interesting stuff, and I love how you have the reflections under each chapter. So there's always a main takeaway, you know, after you know every point you make, and I think that it's going to help people that read it, and um, um, hopefully it has a positive impact on the world. Well, I hope so. You know, there, there's two questions I ask people, you know, tell me about a moment of kindness in your life, just like I asked you at the beginning. And um, there's either like one of two responses. One is someone will say something like, oh, I remember when I didn't have enough money for the cab and the cabbie let me go, right? Um, or there might be, uh, uh, it was so stunning to me, this was this response like, oh my God, I'm not a kind person. I don't have any stories for you. <laughs> you know, it was like this reaction of like kindness. Oh, forget that. And, um, and it came up so often that I was like, wow, let's just stop and think about it because we've all had experiences of a kind moment um, sometime in our life. So that's the first question um, I ask. And then the, the most simple practice that I like to um, share with people is when you're in those moments of overwhelm or distress or you've just been really kind of, you know, you're ticked off about something, whether it's the traffic or this or that, is to ask yourself a simple question. How can I bring kindness to this moment? How can I bring kindness to this moment? And what comes up? You know, what what comes up? Like if you know you're track traffic jam and trying to get to work. Well, you know what? There's nothing you can do about that. But you can listen to the music, you know, in the radio or a podcast. You can actually use that time to take care of yourself for the 15 minutes that you're going to be sitting in the car a little bit longer. You know, or you know, you're having a struggle with your teenage child or a two-year-old's having a temper tantrum, right? Sometimes the kindest thing you can do in the moment is actually take a parenting break, t take a note, your own time out for 10 seconds, right, or 10 minutes, um, or is to actually not respond at all, just stay in a moment of reflection, not not react. So I think that that question is, you know, how can I bring kindness to this moment um, is, is a good one for all of us to practice. Mm -hmm. So I leave that with you. <laughs> Yeah, Give it a and, try and then let me know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure, you, you know, you believe that, you know, every moment has an opportunity for some sort of kindness, whether it's toward another person or, or toward yourself. And, um, you know, there's that concept of, um, you know, even, you know, being, you know, in a difficult situation or having an argument with someone or, you know, someone that you don't like, there's still opportunities to be kind. And um, there's that concept of, like, Enemy, the, the enemy's gift, I think, is um, something that um, I think it's in Buddhism, maybe. I don't, I don't really know exactly. But the idea mm -hmm. that, you know, even your enemies give you an opportunity to practice kindness. Sometimes, you know, those most difficult situations are actually where you get to, to exercise kindness the most and actually build that muscle. Yes, and sometimes that kindness is actually towards yourself. So it might be actually creating a boundary. Giving a 
situation, leaving a relationship, you know that sometimes um, it's not just about, you know, sort of bringing the kindness forward to some, to another person. Oftentimes it's to yourself. Um, and so that's why I wrote the book really, you know, around kindness really comes from the inside out and how do we cultivate that within ourselves so that we become so fluent at it that it's just then becomes really natural um, to go out in the world and be that way. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think um, there's a quote actually by Albert Einstein that I, that I almost live by. And I think that it probably helped me um, uh, during, you know, even writing the book. And um, he said something like, um, or is quoted having said, the most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or a hostile universe. And I really believe that. Like, we can go through the world thinking it's a really bad, awful, cruel place. And then what are we going to attract with that sort of mindset? Or we can believe it's friendly and loving and that there's opportunities to connect everywhere we look. So, you know, he was a scientist, but also a mystic as far as I'm concerned. And, um, and I feel like, you know, that's really about how we can bring kindness into this world. So I believe that the world is a friendly place and that we can bring kindness to ourselves and each other anytime, really. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a fundamental belief you have to have, um, just because it becomes self-fulfilling. It becomes, you know, what you see in the world and what you give back to it. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, seeing a friendly world is definitely a prerequisite for making the world better, for sure. It takes practice. Yeah, definitely. Not <laughs> you, have to be, you have to be patient with yourself. You have to yeah. forgive yourself when you make mistakes. And that all goes back to what you're saying about, you know, being kind to yourself first is something that's essential before you can really start you know, expressing it to others as well. Yeah, it kind of happens in tandem, but yeah, it's a, it's 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 it's, it's an interesting thing for us all to kind of ask ourselves. You know, um, what can we put sort of joyful effort into? How can we be of service to others? What's a, a smaller, large kindness I could do? Um, you know, and how can I nurture myself with love and kindness? So, they're all things that we can ask ourselves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, we're sort of approaching the end here. Um, I really enjoyed having you on. Um, I definitely recommend the book when it comes out. Um, I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes to the book. And where else are places people can find you? Um, well, um, listeners can go to my website, which is tarakuzno.com. I have a kindness quotient quiz, so you can quiz yourself. So that's kind of fun. On. And uh, I also um, developed a kindness manifesto um, that's also on my website. And um, so there are things that you can kind of check out, share with other people. Um, would love for people to um, find me on Facebook. Um, I'm starting to get with it with social media. It's, a, it's my, my learning edge or leading edge, whatever they call that. So, um, <laughs> um, but there are many ways to contact me. So my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and my website. What, wait, what's your Twitter? I think I follow you. Uh, my, my Twitter is Tara Kuz, PhD. So T-A-R-A-C-O-U-S, PhD. Okay, awesome. That's awesome. my Twitter handle, yeah. Yeah, well, well, thank you so much for coming on. And you know, I definitely recommend people check out your work and look forward to the book coming out. Uh, wish you the best of luck, and uh, hopefully we'll stay in touch. Yes, Steve, thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. 
Have a good one. Okay, take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Emotion Machine podcast. If you enjoy these episodes and you would like to support my work, there are two main options. One, you can check out my Patreon at theemotionmachine.com forward slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or if you'd like to do a one-time donation, you can go to PayPal at theemotionmachine.com forward slash PayPal. There will also be links to these in the show notes, and any support from you guys is greatly appreciated. So I thank you for that, and please stay tuned for next episode.